Exodus 35, starting at verse 4. Page 94. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ramskins, dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its coverings, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts and bases, the ark with its poles and the atonement cover and the curtain that shields it, the table with its poles and all its articles and the bread of the presence, the lampstand that is for the light with its accessories, lamps and oil for the light, the altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, the curtain for the doorway at the entrance to the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering and its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the bronze basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases, and the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the tent pegs for the tabernacle, and for the courtyard, and their ropes, the woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests. And then if we can move on, if we can turn to page 100, and that's Exodus chapter 39, ticking up the narrative just at the end of chapter 39 and verse 42, and then reading the whole of chapter 40, page 100. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses blessed them. Then the Lord said to Moses, set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting on the first day of the first month. Place the ark of the testimony in it and shield the ark with the curtain. Bring in the table and set out what belongs on it. Then bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the ark of testimony and put the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. Place the altar of burnt offering in front of the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Set up the courtyard around it and put the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it and all its furnishings, and it will be holy. Then anoint the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils. Consecrate the altar, and it will be most holy. Anoint the basin and its stand, and consecrate them. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting, and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in the sacred garments. Anoint him and consecrate him, so that he may serve me as priest. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics. Anoint them just as you anointed their father, so that they may serve me as priests. Their anointing will be 
to a priesthood that will continue for all generations to come. Moses did everything just as the Lord had commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. When Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, erected the frames, inserted the crossbars, and set up the posts. Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent as the Lord commanded him. He took the testimony and placed it in the ark, attached the poles to the ark, and put the atonement cover over it. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtains and shielded the ark of the testimony as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain and set out the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded him. He placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and he set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the curtain and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord commanded him. Then he put up the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering near the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered on it burnt offerings and grain offerings as the Lord commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting or approached the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of the house of Israel during all their travels. Amen. May God bless his reading and we look forward to Paul just expounding from it now. Thank you. A couple of prior announcements. Thank you, David. A couple of prior announcements. Um, Thursday is a, is a big day for Edinburgh. Um, firstly, because Liam and Catherine Garvey moved to Edinburgh from St. Andrews. And uh, they move into 41 Cramond Avenue. So you could be praying for them this week as they make their move. This morning's his last Sunday preaching at St. Andrews. And... Um, uh, I know that he's going to miss them, but uh, he's excited too about uh, coming to join with us. So you could pray for the Garveys in their move this week. Uh, the second uh, thing as well is that there's a visit from the, um, uh, from the Pope, apparently, and that's going to impact things. Uh, you'll see some notices in there. But one, one of the things I wanted to just highlight is the book of the month. Uh, the book of the month last month was The Inquenchable Flame, which was kind of a history of the Reformation period which kind of looked at the historical uh, uh, divisions that took place and why they took place. 
And, and the book of the month this month is, um, is called Nothing in My Hand I Bring, Understanding the Differences Between Roman Catholics and Protestant Beliefs. And the logical thing from the book last month is say, well, yes, well, that's what they believed back then. What do Roman Catholics believe today? And this is a really helpful book because uh, Ray Gallier w- was brought up in a happy family, in a Roman Catholic family. He hasn't got a big axe to grind. But as he went to university and started studying the Bible, he felt that there were some major differences in what the Bible taught and what he was taught being raised within the Roman Catholic denomination. And so um, this is a very helpful book, really, for you if you're saying, well, what's all the fuss about? What's the difference? Uh, I'd encourage you to get the book of the month and read it for yourself, and you can see some of the major points of of, uh, disagreement. And then I think this is a really helpful book to hand on to friends from a Roman Catholic background. It's a book that will help inform you, but it's a book you could happily hand on. It's not an aggressive book, but just to start a conversation maybe with uh, friends really from a Roman Catholic background. Uh, the guy who I buy my chips from, I gave him the copy, and I'm, uh, I pop in every now and again to buy chips and say, have you read the book yet? He tells me he's very busy. He hasn't got around to it yet. So I, so I have to keep buying chips. The other thing I want to point out is that uh, there's a men's breakfast on the 2nd of October. Uh, this is for men, and it's going to involve breakfast. And it's going to be here October the 2nd, and it's entitled In Understanding Be Men, and we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about what it means to be a man and uh, encourage all men uh, to be present. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, we thank you for the opportunity now to reflect and meditate upon your word. And our heart's desire is that we would meet with you. Lord, that as we draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. That we would see more of your glory in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Have you ever met someone who's always repeating themselves? They just say the same thing over and over again. Now, why do they do that? It, it could be a sign of senility, couldn't it? You get to a certain age, and um, when people start losing their memory, they forget that they've already told you this 20 times before that week. And uh, now they're telling you one more time. And it's a real test of your patience, isn't it? Just to smile and courteously listen and try and find a tactful way just to kind of move the conversation onto something else. It could be, of course, a sign of your stupidity that someone keeps repeating something. The constant refrain of mothers, how many times, kids, do I have to tell you this? Put the dirty white washing in this basket. Put the dirty colored washing in this basket. It could be a sign of of seriousness and importance, couldn't it? Where people just basically say, do you understand this? Let me tell you one more time. You may have been on 100 flights in your life, but every time you get on that plane, what's going to happen before you take off? Some woman's going to get up there, or a man, and they're going to tell you about fire exits and, you know where to find a, a life vest and to not inflate it before you leave the plane. Oh, how hilarious that would be if you did that. Over and over, because it's very important. Or it could be a sign of satisfaction and delight. 
uh, like the classic song, New York, New York, so good they named it twice. A wonderful logic, that song. You know, but there's something, when it's really exciting, when it really thrills us, we find ourselves just talking about it, going on about it, repeating it with delight. And even the telling of it is delightful to us. Now, when we come to this last section of the book of Exodus, from chapter 13 onwards, it might be tempting to think that maybe Moses was beginning to show his old age. Because, really, he just repeats the same content. Uh, Much of the detail of chapters 25 to 31 gets repeated almost word for word. And in chapters 25 to 31 of Exodus, you get God's design for the tabernacle. And then in chapters 35 to 39, you get a description of what they actually built. And as impatient readers, uh, we might be tempted to be a bit bored. And, um, you know, as we get dragged through the same territory again. But the important thing to realize as we read the Bible is that it never repeats itself to be boring. When we see repetition in the Bible, it, it is telling us that this is very important. This is the way that it's underlining the significance of what is there. Important things get said twice. Not only is the tabernacle important, this is something of great joy and delight. He is lingering over it because of what it means. And and, and the awesome tabernacle reality is this, is that the, the, the God who created the universe... Uh, the God who is the Lord who revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who would come and redeem them out of Israel, this God, someone's ear needs to be turned down, I think, Uh, this God was wanting to dwell amongst them. This is the awesome tabernacle reality, that God, this awesome God, was going to live amongst them. And that's why it lingers on this language of the tabernacle. Just keep your finger in this section of uh, 40 and turn back to chapter 25. And verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. This has been God's purpose through the whole unfolding plan of salvation for this book of Exodus. And the high point of the book comes at the very end, into, uh, back to chapter 40, and verse 34. Imagine this scene. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. Now what a glorious picture this is. God's presence, God's glorious presence, dwelling amongst his redeemed people. 
God leading them, guiding them uh, onwards to the promised land, abiding with them in the center of their camp. And just think about where we've got to in this story of Exodus. Uh, We began this back in March, I think. And back in March, we considered the early chapters where uh, the book started with the people uh, enslaved, crying out to God because of the misery that they were under, their cruel oppression from the Egyptian taskmasters as they served as slaves. Hard labor, frequent beatings, deprivation, being forced to watch their own children being thrown into the Nile. And yet, look at where they are now. Instead of that as their story, the sovereign Lord had stepped in with an amazing rescue plan. He'd routed their enemies. He'd given them deliverance. He'd brought them uh, to himself by the blood of the Lamb. He'd graced them with his directive law. And here finally comes in the fullness of his person to dwell and take residence in their midst. And and this is the whole story of of Exodus. It starts with them as slaves forced to uh, serve Pharaoh working on his cities. It ends with them as a free people choosing to serve and worship the living God, building this incredible tabernacle for God's glory. That's the story of the book of Exodus. And in the picture form uh, of this, this, this language, what we're seeing is the, is the good news of Jesus Christ spoken of in advance. This is a picture of, of, of the salvation that God offers us through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God is eager to dwell amongst his redeemed people. Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, it talks about uh, the the temple now. And it's not about buildings, but it's about people who've put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's people who've been united to Jesus by faith. And, And so now, where is this... Uh, experience known. It's known in Christian churches where, where God's people gather together. And it says in 1 Corinthians 3, you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. And, and in the future, as we read from Revelation chapter 21, we see the fullness of God's purposes to dwell amongst his redeemed people brought to completion. And uh, Norman read it to us earlier Revelation 21, verse 3. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Do you see, this is the awesome great big plan of salvation. The God who created everything, the the, the world that we messed up because of our sin, but God's amazing salvation plan, sort of spoken in prototypes to the events of the Exodus, pointing all the way forward to the coming of Jesus, experienced in part now by the Christian church, all who trust the Lord Jesus Christ, and looking forward to that glorious future that is to come. This is the great sweep of salvation history, a sweep that we see in a mini arc here in the book of Exodus. What we need to see is that God initiates this plan of salvation. The Israelites didn't choose to free themselves out of slavery. God graciously came and freed them from that slavery. The Israelites didn't bring themselves to Mount Sinai to meet with God. He sustained them through the wilderness with his uh, daily provisions of miraculous bread and miraculous water. They did not initiate this relationship with God. Um, He initiated it with them. 
He spoke his words. He revealed his will. He made this covenant possible. My friends, we cannot choose God. He must choose us. He must do this work of salvation uh, in our lives. And I want to say that very clearly today because the burden of this sermon is to ask this question. How do we as the redeemed people enjoy the glorious presence of God? How do we as the redeemed people of God enjoy his glorious presence? It's clearly a priceless blessing, isn't it? To know God's presence, to know his rule, to know him guiding us, leading us. Uh, Are students joining us uh, maybe for the first time today? I know that one of the prevailing questions you're going to have as you go on through the years of study is, what am I supposed to do with my life? Will God lead me? Will, Will he guide me? What am I supposed to do? What a blessing it is to have a God who guides and leads. How do we experience that? Well, let's ask the question for this text. How did they experience it? How did they experience the glorious glorious presence of God in the book of Exodus? Was it automatic? No. The answer was no. It wasn't automatic. They experienced the glory of God by obediently constructing the tabernacle through a consecrated priest. And as they bring their sacrifice of offerings. Those three things are going on in these final chapters of Exodus. By obediently constructing the tabernacle through a consecrated priest. And as they bring their offerings of sacrifices. Just think about that. Firstly, that they obediently constructed the tabernacle. So we thought back in the beginning of chapter 25... Have them make a sanctuary for me, and I'll dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. You see, to enjoy God's presence, they need to obey God's words here. They need to make this sanctuary, this tabernacle, exactly the way God tells them to do it. And for us to experience and enjoy the glorious presence of God, we are called to be a people who hear God's word and who respond with obedient faith. That we need to respond with obedient faith. Now let's think about some of the different aspects of this obedience. Uh, Turn back to chapter 35. You'll find this on uh, page 94. Firstly, it was willing obedience. Willing obedience. Look at uh, chapter 35 and verse 5. Page 94. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering. And that's exactly what they did. Look at verse 21 across the page. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. Willing obedience. They didn't have to make this tent. It was up to them. The offer was there. And, and they could choose to freely come and offer uh, of, of their um, materials and their wealth. And also it was a free will offering not only of gifts but of time and ability. Look at chapter 36 and verse 2. Then Moses summoned... Bezalel and oh I don't know I used to say this fine when I was practicing 
and the other chap, Oho, I can't, isn't that amazing what happens to your brain when you stand up in front of lots of people? Oholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and to do the work. Now, I have to tell you, if I was an artist, if I had any artistic ability and I have none, or if I was into crafts and design, this would be a passage I would camp on. I would make a detailed study of this passage. This is your passage if you're an artist. Clearly, these, these men, uh, Bezalel and Oh, I can't say it, Oholiab, Oholiab, and the women who, who weaved and the people who constructed this, this artistic um, this, this tent had great artistic skills, didn't they? They had great practical skills. And, and God actually sort of points out this man, Bezalel, and says, there's something objectively good about his work. There's lots of skill, but get this man, he's the best. You know, there's something objective about good art, it seems to me, from this text. And here's a man who's uniquely good. At, and he's picked out. And, 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 and alongside the skills and abilities he has in the range of, of fabrics and metals and wood and all the things, he's, um, he's also someone that God's Spirit fills. And it's interesting that the first place we read of in the Bible of the Spirit of God filling any individual is right here when God's Spirit comes and fills this man to enable him to, 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 to elevate his talent and his craft up to another level of blessing so that he can work to the glory of God. Art can be for the glory of God. So artists do it for the glory of God. And these people gave of their skills and of their time to construct willingly this tabernacle. It was willing obedience. It was costly obedience as well, wasn't it? The materials that they brought were very valuable ones. Uh, Norman read them out to us earlier. Gold, silver, bronze, colored cloth, rare stones, spices, oils. And God called them to freely give of their best, their best possessions towards this tabernacle. And of course, where did they get all these possessions? They were formerly slaves. The answer was they got them on the way out. God said, on the way out, ask for stuff. People will be so delighted to get rid of you, they're going to pile it on them. And literally, they, they were piled on with the best of stuff. This was all materials that they were given freely. And the Lord says, now, it's up to you. Do you want to willingly give some of that back to the construction of this tabernacle? It was costly. It was given to them, and they, they had an opportunity of giving it back. Now, is that not always the case? that all we have ultimately is from God's good hand. Um, you know, if you're in a job that pays lots of uh, moolah, lots of money, uh, how come you could get that job? Well, God ordered the DNA and the sort of intelligence fact that you could have. and All that we have, is it not true that it comes because it's a gift of God? That we had health and strength to work? What could be a better use of our possessions or our time than to enable people to meet with God? Because that's what the tabernacle was about. A dwelling place 
for God, a place where people could come and commune with God, a place that would be a display of the glory of God to his people and to the nations. And what, a bet, what better way could you think of of using your resources and your time than that God's glory would be known to the nations, that people could come to know the true and living God? It's our privilege today, isn't it? Not to build tents, but it's our privilege to use our finances and skills to the glory of God so that the gospel of the Lord Jesus can be proclaimed, so that churches can be planted, churches can be resuscitated, that uh, missionaries can be sent throughout the dark places of Britain and Europe and the rest of the world, that God's glory may be known. What a wonderful way we can use our resources and our time that the glory of God may be known. I wonder, have we got that vision? Is it a burning priority in our lives that God's glory would be known? Are we glad of the gospel ourselves? Are we glad that we've been forgiven? Are we glad of knowing God as our Father? Are, are, are we comforted? Are we blessed? Do we have a purpose, a hope, a vision in this life? And do we not want to share that? Well, here's the awesome approach. When we have a burning vision for the glory of God, we will use our stuff and our skills and our lives for the praise and the glory of God. As students, at school, at college, in our workplace, in our communities. Now look at the response of the people. It needed a special appeal. But here's the special twist here. It was a special appeal to stop giving. Did you notice that? You, if you've read through this section, let's look at it. Chapter 36, verse 5. The skilled craftsman said to Moses, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent his word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more. Now, what, what an appeal that is. Would you stop it, please? No, no more. Oh, we want to give. No, stop it. What a response. Why did they give so freely? Well, because they knew something of the awesome grace of God in their lives. Not only their salvation out of Egypt... But his amazing grace them since their sin and idolatry of the golden calf. Now this is part of the reason why the repetition of the tabernacle is described. Because it, you know, it's described and then the terrible sin of the golden calf. This terrible rebellion, idolatry. Those agonizing chapters. What's God going to do? Is God going to go with them or not? And finally through the intercession of Moses, God says, yes, I will go with you. And the joy and delight now that they were going to get to build a tabernacle, that God would presence himself among them, that they would go with them. They responded out of this grace, amazing grace. Oh yeah, have this and this and this and this. To such a point you have to say, stop it. Stop it. Amazing. And the reason that at times our hearts and our wallets and our diaries are, are so closed and ungenerous is because we forget how awesome is the grace of God to us. 
I mean, that's how Paul makes his appeal to the Corinthians, isn't it? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he, he made himself poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. And out of that grace, the Macedonian, this poor church, was giving and giving and giving. And he was stirring up the Corinthians to, to reflect on the grace of God as the basis of their generosity. It's always the way, isn't it, that the grace of God will motivate us to give for the glory of God. That's the way it goes. So it's willing obedience, costly obedience, and lastly here, exacting obedience. If you were to read this section in one sitting, the phrase that keeps coming up is this, that they built each bit as the Lord had commanded. And I counted that at least 17 times. And look at the summary at the end of chapter 39 again, verse 42. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord commanded and so Moses blessed them. The detailed obedience of the people of God to every detail of God's word is important. We can't just pick and choose uh, what we like and uh, what we don't like. Ignoring the bits we don't like. We, we can't worship God any old way we want to. We need to confirm our conform our worship and our lives to God's will and to God's word. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 again, uh, Paul wrote this, but each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Here's the foundation of this work of God's temple, of which we represent by God's spirit here. It is built on the foundation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the template, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we're going to seek to build this church, this congregation as elders, uh, that it conforms to the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to build for God's glory, seeking to be faithful to obedient God's, obedience to God's word because that is the pattern that we must work with. See, the blessings of God's presence are always enjoyed by those who seek to live obedient lives to his word. It was true in the Garden of Eden. They enjoyed the blessings of the Garden of Eden as they obeyed that single command. It was true for the Israelites. It remains true for us who are called to show our faith in Jesus Christ by obedience to him. The Apostle Paul opens the letter to the Romans saying that his ministry among the Gentiles is to the obedience of faith. That's why he's heading out to the nations with the gospel, that they may enter into the obedience of faith in the Lord Jesus. It remains true for us, who are called to show our faith in Jesus Christ by obedience to him. See, that we can come to relate to God and enjoy his glorious presence is something that he alone makes possible. But it is important for us to see that God requires a response from his people. It was true at the start of this tabernacle. It was true for the ongoing ministry of the tabernacle. They were going to need to bring in, keep bringing flocks, uh, animals from their herds and so forth. He required them to devote their choices, their best, in order to secure his indwelling presence. They also needed a consecrated priest. And in chapter 36, we see... No, actually in chapter 
39. We see a description of this outfit that Aaron must wear. He's wearing very special clothes, an ephod, a, a breastpiece, a robe, a turban. And it's made out of the same materials as the tabernacle because his ministry is essentially the functioning of the tabernacle. On the ephod, it says uh, uh, on this breast piece that he, he has, there are semi-precious stones, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel because he's representing Israel as he goes about the work within the tabernacle, within the holy place. As he... Uh, does the work of animal sacrificing, applying the blood, bringing the bread into the holy place, as he maintains the light of the golden lampstands, as he maintains incense, and once a year enters the Holy of Holies, he enters as a representative of the people. He bears them on his shoulders, and he bears them on his heart, their concerns and burdens before the Lord. And the whole picture of, 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 of this outfit, I mean, what people wear is a big statement, isn't it? And the whole thing about what Aaron is wearing here is a, just a picture of awesome holiness. And if you don't really get the point, then he actually wears a turban with a golden plate, and on it it says, holy to the Lord. This man is set apart for the people to represent the people as a picture of holiness, as a person who... Uh, relates to God for the people and from God to the people. And this is what was needed, a holy person to represent the people of God. And also what was needed was sacrifice offerings. At the end of chapter 40, they set up the tabernacle, they consecrate Aaron, get him dressed and washed, they anoint him, and then verse 29, uh, he set the altar of burnt offering near the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And offered on it burnt offerings and grain offerings as the Lord commanded him. All of this was required for them to experience the glorious presence of God. No tabernacle. There was no indwelling. And so the question for them was, do you want the Lord among them? Uh, among, did they want the Lord among them or not? And the question for us is the same. Do we want the Lord among us or not? On the divine side, it's all of grace on the human side it's a decision and desire of the heart now we don't have to make a special tent we don't have to i mean i don't have to wear any particular clothes it's not a special outfit this is not the holy outfit of the pastor just wearing something that's decent really that's all the bible requires uh, of of christians is they wear something that's decent there are no magic clothes to be worn um we don't require a special class of person. We don't require sacrifices anymore because all of that was pointing to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the reality that this was pointing to. As John 1, as I've quoted before, God's word was made flesh and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled amongst us. We don't have a human priest because Jesus is the, is the superior high priest. Just read through the book of Hebrews and you'll see this. Who serves not in an earthly tent, but in heaven at God's right hand. Jesus continues to intercede for his people before the throne of God. And he does so on the basis of his perfect, once-for-all sacrifice. That's one of our major differences with the Roman Catholic denomination. Who want to repeatedly do the Mass every week re-sacrifice Christ over and over and over and we say no no the Bible says it was a once for all sacrifice 
He stands at God's right hand and the wounds in his hands and his side and his feet speak of eloquently of his sacrifice which was sufficient to cover all the sins of his people. Stand there before God's very presence and we relate to God through him as high priest and through him as sacrifice. Do you see that God has done it all? God has done everything that he can do to make it possible that guilty sinners can come into right relationship with him. He's done it all. And my friends, we as Christians sometimes miss out on the reality of what is there for us. Now I know this because I read it in the Bible. The writer of the Hebrews over and over again um, reminds them of the wonderful truths of what's happened for them and then on that basis he says, well, then come in. Listen to this from Hebrews um, uh, 3.14, I think. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. He's done it all. The question is, are you going to approach him? Are you going to come to God through Christ? It's all done for you, but are you sitting back? Or are you laying hold of it? Trusting Christ, pressing in to know God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Or think about Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. He's appealing to these Christians. Let's do it then. Let's draw near to God. Let's grab hold of these blessings that are ours in Christ by faith in Christ. Draw near. Come. Appropriate this. We considered last week the tragedy of the church in Laodicea as described at the beginning of Revelation. A church that thought it was a fabulous church. They they were so happy with themselves. They thought it was so wonderful. They didn't even notice that Jesus wasn't even in the room. He was outside the church. He was knocking on the door saying, Can I come into your church, please? But they were so lukewarm. They hadn't noticed that they weren't experiencing the presence of Christ amongst them. And so I say to us as New Testament believers, God has done it all for us in Christ. He is the tabernacle. He is the priest. He is the sacrifice. It is all there. Are we pressing in to lay hold of it? Are we drawing near to God? Are we every day uh, in our individual lives and Sunday by Sunday as we gather, are we desiring the awesome, glorious presence of God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this what you want? Oh, my friends, we get so distracted by all the other glories that are offered to us out there. The glories of promotion. Oh, spend so much of my life and energy just to get that promotion. If I get that, I will become more glorious. Or the, the larger salary, or the bigger house, or the bigger car, or that rela- relationship. Or if I can have that girl, if I can have that boy, how glorious that will be. We pursue so many other strange glories. Now here is the most awesome thing we can chase after, the glorious presence of God. Do we desire more of him? We get so busy and distracted, don't we? Every day we can wake up 
and say, Father, help me to know you. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit or fill me, Holy Spirit, this day that I may know you and live for your glory. Every day, every aspect of our lives can be redeemed for the glory of God. Are we laying hold of it? Jesus gives this invitation. Here I am. This is often used as an evangelist verse, doesn't it, to say to non-Christians, but really it's written to Christians. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What a thing. 